Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 6 of the Scene From Above podcast. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we're your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about cool things happening around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us via the podcast webpage, seenfromabove.org, where you'll also find the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SceneFromAbove. This episode, we'll be asking whether photogrammetry has had its day and image interpretation more broadly is dead. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's dead. Um, okay. <laughs> So instead of talking about launches, which I think is getting a little bit dry, I want to sort of use the beginning part of our podcast to just mention an interesting thing about uh, satellites. I want to talk about NASA's ISAT-2 mission. Jonathan Amos has written an excellent post on the BBC News page about ISAT-2. This is a really fascinating satellite and launched, I think, in 2018. And it was due to measure ice thickness and, and track Arctic sea ice, which is, you know, quite a, a topical thing, especially in the yeah. news at the moment. But what they found was this instrument is sort of overperforming and they're being able to measure the sea floor down to about 40 metres. Oh, cool. OK. Um, I came across this because I followed Jonathan Amos on Twitter and he said my jaw dropped when this information was published. And there's quite a few companies out there at the moment using satellite-derived bathymetry. So this is interesting um, for those guys. Yeah, check it out. And what I wanted to also highlight, which I saw literally an hour before we started recording this podcast, was um, someone's produced a GitHub page of how to access and download and produce a derived information like TIFFs and um, LAST files and KML and CSV files from the data from ISAT2. So do you know if the data are being released as open data? I assume so, if someone's put something out on GitHub. Yes, I think it's out there. Um, you can go and download it. It'd be interesting to see the spatial coverage of this. This whole area of the coastal zone, I think, is becoming more and more important and a, certainly more interest to me. It's quite interesting to see how different satellite sensors can be used in different ways to map that area because it's a continually shifting area as well. crack on with the news now on 25th of September 2019. There's lots of things to talk about. I'll try and be concise. I wanted to say that uh, as a sort of very quick follow-on from our last podcast talking about privacy, comparing Earth observation to what companies do with our data that we willingly give them. I had a, a little interaction with someone on Twitter about ethics and that sort of side and little discussion about privacy and it's quite interesting and I, I kind of thought to myself we don't really discuss the ethics of it that much either and lo and behold almost that sort of same day I found an article written in August of this year um, about the ethics of satellite mapping if it is talked about I don't see it talked about in my little world so I found the article quite refreshing this was interesting and yeah. well worth 
checking out. Certainly given our backgrounds, the two of us will always gravitate towards the technical stories that interest us. But this whole sort of social aspect of having these systems up there monitoring what's going on is just as important. And it's something that we should make an effort, I think, to come back to as, as often as we can to try and make sure that we're being holistic in terms of what it is that we're talking about on the podcast. And I just want to sort of say thanks to the person who listened to the podcast and and engaged with us yes about that topic um i really appreciate it you know we said it before we don't have all the answers we're just sort of working it out as we go almost yeah and exactly. saying how we think i'm absolutely always open to further discussion and scrutiny and i'm fascinated to continue any discussion in, in this direction the first thing i want to do in the news is just highlight some of the conferences that have either happened this month or currently on. So the UK Space Conference is currently underway in Newport in Wales. This is quite a big conference for the UK space industry. And we'd just like to thank the UK Space Agency for inviting us there. Unfortunately, neither of us were able to attend this year due to various other commitments. But it's really great to know that the UK space industry as a whole which is more than just Earth observation, obviously, is in a very healthy position and is doing quite well. Another conference that I had the pleasure of going to last week was Phosphor-G UK. And that was an absolutely amazing conference, possibly one of the best ones I've been to for a number of years. It was so friendly. I was helping out, doing some volunteering, and everybody wanted to be there. They were there for the same reason, to talk about open source um, geospatial software and open data. And everybody was so accommodating and helpful. It, it sounds really weird to say this, but you don't get that at all conferences you go to. The weather in Edinburgh was amazing for the time of year. So that really helped as well. And the venue was great. And then the final conference I want to mention is RSPSOC 2019, which was at the beginning of the month. Again, that was great. It was a one-day conference, and it was really interesting to see some of the academic work that's being done in case you haven't seen it on Twitter, uh, we won an award. So this podcast is now an award-winning podcast. We managed to get the RSPSOC Innovation Award, and we're really chuffed about that. Thank you to RSPSOC for voting this podcast as the, the winner of that award this year. So with the Phosphor-G, I wanted to say thanks to Ashton Technology for covering the sponsorship, I guess, for the live streaming. Oh, yes. Yeah. All of the talks are on YouTube. I don't know if they've been broken down yet. So let's get everyone to watch Alistair's talk <laughs> on um, cool EO technology and let's get that one as the most down downloaded and watched <laughs> talk. Uh, go there now. We've we'll put the link in the uh, show notes and you can you get you don't get to listen to him. You get to see him as well. So everyone's a winner. For a UK only event, it looked brilliant, you know, so slick, fantastic. It was a really interesting diversity of topics as well that were being talked about. I mean, it was brilliant this year that there were two sessions on remote sensing it's funny isn't it because every time i see a FOSS event the eo component gets bigger yeah yeah okay so just out today um, again on planet they've started talking a bit more about their analytics platform and they've got a new post out called mapping all of earth's roads and buildings from space so this is this has come out in the last sort of 24 hours it would be really interesting to have a look at this. And I, I've, I've got my eyes on the analytics thing because there's a conference, isn't there? The first Planet User Conference is going to happen in, in the US soon. Yeah. Um, and I'll be interested if they, they've got any videos from those events to sort of see what this platform is looking like. I've just got a quick one. I came across this yesterday and it's basically a GDAL OGR 
geodata processing tutorial and I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's really nice. There's already quite a few cheat sheets and the uh, chap that wrote this references those as well. It breaks everything down into little sections. It also gets, and this is one for you and me, it also gets a, a reference into Mr. Sid format, which is great. Oh yeah, I saw that the other day and I was reading it and I was thinking, I thought of you, I thought, oh, this is, this is, this is perfect for us. That's going to be our thing, isn't it? Bring back Mr. C. Um, but it's really neat, you know, even though I've used quite a lot of these commands before, I think I'm going to go through the, the tutorial and just play around with it a little bit and see if there's anything in there that will optimize what I've been doing, or maybe there are things that I, I haven't even come across. Yeah, awesome. I mean, I, I love when people do this stuff. So huge credit to Jacob. Yeah, brilliant. I love your attitude there. You know, there might be one thing that you can take away from it, but that one thing may be a big change for what you do in your daily work or a reminder. So yeah, I'm all for that. Um, as a sort of brief nod to some other things that, have, that I've noticed that have been going on, Microsoft have released through its Bing platform 18 million building footprints in Uganda and Tanzania. So Go and check that out as well. That's also happened this month. But the last thing I really wanted to mention was Google Earth Engine, of course, one of my sort of <laughs> favorite things, and their recent conference, Geo for Good. A lot of stuff was coming out of that, some really interesting stuff like continuous change detection on a huge time series of data through their Earth Engine app. So if you go and find that. But a lot of talk about machine learning, and, and I thought that was quite interesting. And it really does feel that they're putting a lot of effort in, in this direction. That's the news. On to the main topic for this episode. Really, what we wanted to discuss with our slightly provocative title is the idea around what sorts of skills people are using in order to extract information from the imagery that they have. It was primarily driven from a question that I saw on LinkedIn from a guy called David Shilston. And his question was about aerial photo interpretation specifically. And he was asking whether or not it's become a lost art in the UK. Now, straight off, there's an interesting semantic point there, which is a lost art rather than science or skill <laughs> or anything else. But his point was that aerial photographs are a very useful resource and that they were being used a lot for analytical interpretation. He kept the question short and just invited people to comment. And there were some quite interesting comments. A lot of people were saying what from universities and education establishments were saying that they still use stereoscopes to teach the ideas of, of uh, photogrammetry and stereoscopy. Certainly, to my mind, I've not seen anyone using those in the sort of wider environment, certainly not in the commercial environment. And generally, that seemed to be the answers that were coming through was that it's still being taught, but more as a sort of like, this is how it was done, and that you can get good results using this type of information. Mm -hmm. So that got me thinking, okay, well, we're talking about whether the art, uh, inverted commas, of uh, aerial photo interpretation is dead. Um, what else is out there and what other sorts of commentary is there? And then something came out only a couple of weeks ago on GIM International, which is a, a sort of new site about geospatial stuff. And this is talking about how photogrammetry and LIDAR are being used 
particularly by sort of um, drone and very high resolution aerial photography data collectors. They're being used in conjunction with each other. So you're getting this thing called airborne hybrid sensor systems. And I just thought this would be quite an interesting topic to discuss a bit further. And final point before we move on to the actual discussion, <laughs> but was I also saw that Sensat, which is a UK company that's doing some really exciting stuff around drones and data collection and beyond line of sight. And at some point we will get them on the podcast, I'm sure. They have released a, a little report basically discussing exactly this. Some of their clients, you know, they say, oh yeah, LIDAR's great, but actually what we want is photogrammetry. And in this report, they just try to talk about some of the benefits of each of the different technologies. So I thought it would be really useful to, to have a discussion around whether or not these image interpretation aspects are still valid today. And then you took it one step further. And I think <laughs> you explain that because I think it's really interesting. It's totally what we should, we should be talking about in this episode. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not really too experienced in airborne photography, interpretation, and photogrammetry, as, it, as you just sort of described it. Taking my kind of satellite imagery and GIS sort of background, and especially, you know, my, my career, I was interested when we came across this idea of, is it dead? And I think it's really easy to sort of say, no, it isn't, or yes, it is. But what I do think is that quite often in presentations today, you'll get people saying, there's just too many pixels and I've said it myself and therefore we need we need the machines and the algorithms to do the looking for us that is fine for things that fit very nicely into to being detected like boats however and I spent a good chunk of time this afternoon trying to find this paper that I, I'm now beginning to think that I dreamt up <laughs> but I was sure that I'd read a piece of published work that says we took X amount of image analysis type people and compared their analysis with each other to see what they interpreted that image to be. From a geological point of view, I think the identification of faults in satellite imagery is part of the art. You've got to have the skill of a geologist and the eye of it. You've got to use it with other data to identify these faults. But what you consider to be a fault and what someone else, another geologist considers to be a fault, may differ. So I think that there's a barrier there that, that sometimes you get where someone says, this is definitely a fault, and the geological map says this is definitely a fault, and someone else says that this looks exactly like that, and the geological map, and you're saying it's not a fault. Why isn't it a fault? And sometimes there really is this nuance of yeah. understanding what you're looking at anecdotally i think that that skill is being diminished by the reliance upon and the focus that seems to be increasingly on detecting objects and some of those objects are easier to detect than others i just want to say to the listeners that obviously we're being <laughs> very um controversial by saying this but it's really to try and get the debate going um image interpretation as a skill as we see it i think we're in agreement is dwindling because of all of the amazing tools that we now have at our disposal for, for doing semi-automated or automated data analysis without wanting to become all sort of reminiscing and 
remembering when all this was fields, etc. Um, <laughs> but I had a job a few years ago where I was looking at the coastal area and I was with the client and we had some aerial photography. And I was just looking at the aerial photography and I basically said, oh, this is salt marsh and this is a sand spit and this is going to be moving in this direction, etc. And he said, oh, well, you, you haven't done anything on the computer. You've just looked at this. How do you know that's true? And I, I sort of did a double take. And then I, I said, oh, well, it's because I've got years of experience of handling this type of information. I understand the physical geographical processes that are going on that make up imagery like this. So it's an interesting thing because obviously photogrammetry isn't dead because that's being used just in a different way, but with drone data and with high resolution um, aerial imagery. But if we part that just for the time being, the interpretation of images, I don't think it'll ever totally die. There will be this slight dwindling, shall we say, of number of people who have the experience of looking at a large amount of this type of information and being able to interpret it straight away. But at the same time, we're going to then be generating a whole new set of people with skills who will be able to run models and then interpret the model output possibly in a, a much more coherent way than say we could do because we just don't have the experience of working through massive time yeah. series data sets i mean if you think of someone 10 years down the line uh, that's really what i'm talking about not necessarily us now but 10 years down the line you're going to have people who are coming out of phds now who their only experience will be time series analysis of huge data yes. cubes just like everything else in Earth observation at the moment, we're in this transition period. And it's really interesting, I think, to, to try and pull that apart. I've spoken before that I see there's sort of two markets now. There's the pixels and the analytics market, yeah. for want of a yeah. better word. It's comparable to the interpretation and the deriving of time series based or stacks of imagery or the temporal location of data you make a really good point. I think it probably is the case that you're getting people out of university or in jobs that don't even look at all of the images because they physically can't because there's, yeah. there's hundreds yeah. of them. But conversely, in sectors that I, I haven't worked in before, like defence, I would think that the trust to rely upon a machine to tell you that there's something important in the defence realm, I'm trying to find the right word to, for, for what that would be, but... You know, an issue of security, I think that's probably a better way of putting it. You could probably build these pipelines that guide the analyst, but I would think that in key security, you would see probably banks of people pouring over these images and any piece of information they can to add context to the image. I don't think it's a skill that's dying. I don't think it's as prevalent. The market for image interpretation is probably there, um, as you probably say, is always will be there, but it doesn't feel like it's a growth market. Whereas the other side, the analytics side, that feels like that's where the growth is. In some respects, you could argue it's better to not have that level of human interpretation. Or maybe not better. Better's too loaded a term. If you have a good algorithm that is applicable to a large amount of imagery, then if you have the right software components in place and the right policies about open data and open publishing and everything else, then you have some audit trail of how decisions could get made. 
Whereas if you have a, a human making decisions and interpreting a data set or an individual image, how can you then go back and audit those decisions five years after the, the decision has been made? Everything in me is, is screaming, no, we, we still need to have the humans there to, to do the image interpretation. And it's the interpretation that gives the value and it's the value that people want. But at the same time, I think minimizing maybe the interpretation down to decision making based on some heavily processed piece of data is a more auditable way of, of going about it. I, I think that does make sense. Um, and also, if you're reliant upon a human, then unless they are very conscientious and document everything to the finer degree, then it is difficult to audit any decision made on an interpretation, which sort of goes back to my discussion about what's a what is a fault and what isn't a fault. The art of image interpretation, you know, we may not, never quite get there with a machine because we can't necessarily define it. One of the things I was going to ask you was, how often when you start a new project do you spend, let's say, a couple of hours really looking in fine detail at all the image or do you just sort of, I guess it depends on what, what you're doing, of course, but if you're just doing a land cover, are you just going to say, right, well, that's, I'm just going to get my training data, that's grass, that's, you know, whatever, and then and then go. As, as I say, it's, it's, you can't really give an answer to that question, but quite often you rely upon your previous experience. You know, maybe you're familiar with the type of area. You're right. I do spend time trying to understand what's in the image, trying to break down what I think is happening in the image. And sometimes I'll go on to Google Earth as well um, in order to get another sort of high spatial resolution viewpoint to try and un really understand a site that I'm being asked to look at. Being able to interpret the original image and interpret the output and merge those interpretations together in order to keep improving the model that you're deriving is key. I suppose really where we're getting to with this discussion is it's all going to depend on the application that you're looking at. Yeah, yeah. A lot of some of the features that we're talking about, about interpretation and maybe a, a little bit less so about photogrammetry, that's all to do with in large part, either drone data or high spatial resolution aerial data. And those aren't really traditionally data sets that you and I use a lot. So there will probably be a lot of people listening who do use these technologies all the time who don't agree necessarily with what we've been saying. And I'd really welcome them to get in touch through Twitter at EOSeenFrom to let us know whether or not they think that image interpretation is a dying art form, science, technology, because I think people who, who deal with these very high resolution data sets all the time will have a, a very different approach in terms of yeah. how they see both the data volumes and the interpretation of them. And it'd be really interesting to have a wider discussion. Yeah, I think we, we probably have gone down a path that I, I think perhaps I, I was probably most guilty of sort of steering us down. You know, we didn't really discuss it, but drone imagery is probably the biggest driver for airborne. I do actually think that all the general things that we've discussed about the skill in interpreting the sectors like defence and, and, and that, I, I think that those are ubiquitous across all the types of images. I don't think it's dead. My gut feeling is that the market is limited, but there is a need for those skills. You can automate the stuff that can be automated but it's got to be automatable.
If you have any requests for new segments, topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear from, then we encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSeenFrom or our personal accounts at AJGJogger and at Matt underscore Andrew. Please do get in touch and help us build a vibrant community around this podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Bye. Bye-bye. Watch Alistair's video on YouTube. <laughs> I'm full of lasagna, so I might fall asleep. Path is not an easy one to walk through, so take me with you. You don't have to go alone. Life is growing. Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.